Hello Albion fans, welcome back to the latest episode of the Baggies broadcast. My name is Johnny Drury and as always, I'm joined by the ENS's Albion expert, Mr Lewis Cox. Coxie, are you well mate? No, uh, no Albion action at the moment. We're in that boring international break phase that I absolutely hate as the Albion fans will know. But you alright? A few, few quiet days coming up? Very good mate, very good. Uh, extra happy on this cold Tuesday morning because we're, uh, as we're going to get to joined by a very special guest, which we've been excited about for a little while, haven't we? So something to brighten up any international break. Exactly, yeah, good stuff. We'll come on to that as we as we did on the last international break. We brought you, uh, we brought you um, a guest. We brought you loads of guests in the in the Qatar World Cup last year when we were a bit bored with no uh, no Albion action. But we've gone from the last international break. We've gone from the dugout. We've gone on to the pitch this time, and I'm delighted to be joined by a man who, and he'll correct me if I'm wrong, played 74 times for Albion, scoring one goal. Um, and someone who played in Albion's most successful team in the Premier League era, Mr. Billy Jones. Billy, welcome. Thanks for your time. Good to have you with us. No, cheers. Thanks for having me. No worries at all. No worries at all. We'll talk about, you know, the times at the Hawthorns. Well, at the moment, it's not too bad, but in the last few years, it hasn't been great. So I'm sure Albion fans will like to reminisce about the, the days of, of finishing in the top half of the Premier League, um, which, we'll, uh, which we'll come on to. Um, we're going to go over all of your all of your career right from the, the very start. Um, in Shropshire, um, all the way through the Albion stuff and, and what you're up to these days. I'll take the first half and then Coxie, you can come in and, and quiz on the on the second half. So, Billy, I want to take you sort of right back. Um, born and raised Shropshire, Shrewsbury, I believe. How, what was your early journey into into football like? How did it all sort of kick off? Um, just playing local Sunday league football, to be honest. Um, I've got a son now and it's a lot more organised now. Because like, join a team at under seven straight away, can't you? And do thing called little kickers from about four or five um, and yeah. for me it was just enjoying kicking the ball about and um, then with my dad and with friends and just very much going down the local field and I always remember the local Sunday league team were there and my dad just said oh can you join in it was yeah go on then he can and it, I think it might have been an under nine or something I was about six or seven Um so yeah that's what that's where it started just playing local Sunday league football um, and then you're always remember a thing called like district football as well in Shrewsbury. So I believe that's maybe under 10s or under 11s, something along that age group, something like that. Um, and then county football. And then, yeah, started with Shrewsbury Town, sort of within their centre of excellence. Um, but it wasn't what it is now as such. It was an odd game here or there. Um, it wasn't a game every week. And then I moved on to, on to crew from there. Yeah. So when when did you, you know, understand Billy or start to realise that, you know, you were going to go quite far or make something out of this? Lewis was telling me before, you know, another podcast that is around in Shropshire, you know, that Dave Edwards has, you know, they were talking about players, the best players to come out of Shropshire and Shrewsbury and your name was right at the very top. So, you know, when when did you first realise that, you, you know, you were going to go on and, and probably make it? Um. When I was about 200 games into my career, mate. <laughs> to be honest, uh, I never, I never really had confidence in my in my ability when I was younger. To be honest, um, I feel you play in a small town, so you you try and be the best player within that town, and then you go and play teams from cities. You get a bit of a wake up call and go, okay. Um, <laughs> so then you try and obviously compete against them. Um, you get into a club and you try and just do the best you can at the club, which was crew at the time. And then, yeah, I, I was fortunate enough from there to to do well and play um, England schoolboy football. Uh, but even even at that stage, to be honest, even at 
representing under 16s, under 17s, you're still not too sure. I think it's I think it's a lot different now. Obviously, England youth teams are winning World Cups and stuff like that. Um, we were sort of competing in tournaments, but not really having much success. Um, there was players I played with who went on to have great careers as well, but I, I don't know. It, it didn't really seem to be within that England schoolboy setup. We were all sitting there going, "Okay, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have long football careers." Here. It was just very much taking each year as it come and trying to get into the first team and going from there. To be honest, um, so yeah, it, it, once once I made my debut, um, and then like I say, when I played a good amount of games. And started to actually feel confident within within the championship. Um, that was around about 1920, where I thought, yeah, okay, I can I can have a good career if I really concentrate and kick on and knuckle down. You went to you know your debut came at, at Crew, but just like rewinding it back a bit, you were at, you know you're from Shrewsbury, you were at Shrewsbury. Was there ever a possibility? You know, I know looking in hindsight now, looking at the career you've had, I'm sure people at Shrewsbury at the time probably thought we should have kept them at Shrewsbury. But was that ever a possibility or? Because of what you talked about with like no academy structure and stuff, was it a case that if another club fancied you, they could just come along and, and pinch you, basically? Yeah, yeah, it, it felt that way, to be honest. It felt, like I say, it's really well run now, um, this, the academy at Shrewsbury. Um, but at the time, it felt like they were sort of really finding their feet. Um, and I was playing, obviously, from a county, and one of the, the county coaches I had, he had always talked about crew being regarded as a really good academy. Um, and so that sort of stuck with me dad a little bit. Um, and then funny old story, my dad used to be um, drinking buddies with a Shrewsbury Town player called Dave Walton. Um, and he moved to crew. So the moment he moved, my dad sort of said, can you have a word? <laughs> and so <laughs> they come out to watch us and um, yeah, got a trial and, and went from there. And what was it like at, at Crew? You know, obviously there's been a lot of bad publicity in, in the last few years about various things at Crew, but they they were regarded as having, you know, arguably one of the best academy systems in the in the country. You look at players that come through there, you know, Robbie Savage, I think Neil Lennon, the, these types of people who came through. What was it like when you you went there? Obviously worked under Dario Grady, I imagine, who, who's brought through a lot of young players. You know, was there a, a real talent pool of you there of, of players who went on and, and did really well? What What was it like for you going in there? It, yeah, it, as you say, it was really well regarded. Um, competitive against the big clubs, Liverpool's, your Man United's, your um, City's, Everton's, all all like that. Um, and yeah, it was just a really good place to to learn to learn your trade, really learn football. And developed a lot technically. Um, and yeah, style of play was obviously massively important. Um, sort of keeping the ball on the floor, building out, playing through the third, stuff like that. And yeah, there was a good group there. Some lads went on to have good careers as well from my age group. Um, and also just, it was very much, even though they were in the championship at the time, you, you could just tell the whole ethos of the club was bringing players through. So you always felt you would get a chance um, and potentially that would come early. And if you did well, the club was a selling club and you could go on and emulate some of the players before you as such um so yeah it, it was all like i say it was all based towards the youth team um and you realize that once you got in the first team and we would train on astro and some of the lads would be like to be honest i suffer with my knees and it would be like well dario would be you're not using the grass pitches because they're fully under 14s tomorrow so it would be, <laughs> it would be so it flipped on its head almost yeah, yeah. 
yeah so it was, yeah it was um like i said it was based towards the the youth coming through yeah and you had a you know you rise there you know we'll just touch on it before we go on to you know preston and, and albion but his debut at 16 it always looked like you were going to go through and 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 crack on and do and do really well. You know, you look at the amount of appearances you made. I think it's knocking on as well over 150. I think in the end for Crew. So, you know, you were one of the prime examples of of what they tried to do there. I suppose. Yeah. Um, for me, it was it was sort of a little bit funny because I felt like um, obviously amazing. I'm really happy to make my debut so young and then be straight involved, not just the debut and then out back with the youth team, straight straight away involved with the first team. But I felt like. Um, little bit of a utility player at the age of 17, 18, because I had learned um, my trade, if you want to call it, as a centre-back from when I moved to crew at about 11, all the way through to 16. And then I think I made my debut in centre-mid. And then I played left-back, right-back, centre-back, centre-mid again. Um, obviously understandable with a small squad in the championship and injuries. And I was just happy to play somewhere. But I think long-term for development, I was happy when... I eventually moved on and, and Preston said, this is the position we see you in. So I could really knuckle down on learning that position. I felt like it was great playing and I was, I was learning and developing more, but actually not developing in just, in just one position, if that makes sense. I've seen lads who were sort of from um, the youth teams I was with at England, sort of making their debuts and they were playing that position they were playing where they were playing for England youth team and obviously where they have been for many years learning and developing. Uh, for me, I still felt like I was learning a position and moved and then, so yeah, at times it was it was great, but at times it was a little bit frustrating also. Yeah, I'm just reading, this is Wikipedia research, so it could be completely wrong, but 2003 goal of the season for Crew Alexandre. You remember that yeah, one? That, that, yeah, that was my best, best goal and yeah. I knew at the time I'm never going to score a better one than this straight away, to be <laughs> honest. Uh, so, yeah, it was something. Same again. They they want you, well, they want you to do well coming through the academy, and they want to move you on. They want to they want to sell you. So we had worked on a set piece for in the week, and it was um, Kenny Lunt, um, the captain at the time, to who had great technique um, to clip it to the edge of the box to volley first time. And as you can imagine, everyone in the week had been shanked. Um, but somehow on the day, I just caught it well. And uh, yeah, I can, I can just show that video to people now and say, yeah, I have great technique. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fantastic. And it, as it came to an end at Crew, was it, you know, from what I'm reading, you know, I think you rejected a, a contract, if I'm right. Crew put you on the transfer list. You know, I think Man City were linked. There was offers from Stoke and Everton that were rejected. And in the end, you ultimately went to Preston. And I think it all went to a, a tribunal for the for the fees. Was that a, not a mucky way to end, but it was a, was it quite a difficult because I imagine you're still quite young then, Billy, as well. Yeah, it was it was sort of a growing up fast uh, experience, to be honest. It was um, a little bit of a reality check, uh, rea reality check, sorry, on on the other side of football, um, because I was at a club where it was very much a family club, and obviously Dario was a massive part of that, um, and you always thought his intentions were were pure and uh, in your best interest, so. Like, like you say, I played um, three seasons in the championship. Um, I'd done well. Um, thought I'd shown potentially enough to, to get a move. And 
it was sort of from a personal point of view, I just appreciated what a great league the championship was. And I, I didn't want to drop down. Um, so they had come to us at the start of um, start of the fourth season, the last year of my contract, and offered me a new contract. And I said, to be honest, I don't want to sign it because I want to stay in the championship. Um, so sort of making my intentions clear that I, I think the time's right to potentially move on now. Um, as I wanted to stay in the championship at least. Um, and then unfortunately, it just, it just turned a bit sour. Dario then turned around and said, well, I, I'm not going to do what's what's best for you now. I'm going to do what's um, whatever whatever I want to do. So I, that's when I started to play a little bit more at centre-back. And I know from speaking to some managers and coaches, they were wanting to see me in certain positions to make a decision on me. And I was playing centre-back in League One against some Eight foot, six foot, four monster. Um, so yeah, it, it just it just ended on a bit of a sour note, really. Um, yeah, so it was a shame. Yeah, was as you at the time also? And I think Man City, from what I'm reading, Man City put a 1.5 million pound bid in. You know, Everton, Everton would have been a big. You know, they still are a big club, but they would have been a, a Premier League club back then. You know, were you sort of hearing about this through agents and stuff, knowing that you know you'd probably you'd impressed in those three years, and and, and bigger clubs were were coming calling. To be honest, I, I don't know how true it actually was at the time. I know there's a lot of paper talk, but I can't I can't really remember my agent picking up the phone saying, "This is concrete. This is this is." To be, to be fair, it was 20 years ago, so I I yeah. if I don't remember it now. <laughs> actually, yeah, that's it. I struggled to remember last week. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I I I don't know how how um how concrete that was. To be honest, um, I, I can't really ever remember getting excited about something that potentially could be happening. Um, I, I, I just put it down to, to just to rumours. Um, I, I don't know. I know crew didn't really like to deal with, with agents, so I don't know whether potentially something had been bidded and it was just kept within the club and not passed on to, to myself or, or to my agent at the time. Um, but yeah, I just take it as it was just um, gossip and rumours. Yeah. And then uh, ultimately you went to... To Preston, another great spell. I'm sure you enjoyed it. Became club captain, I think, at Deepdale as well. That was a, I'm guessing it was quite a good time of your, of your career. Yeah, it, it was obviously coming into that last year and playing in League One and um, just seeing the the difference between the leagues. And I was just thankful that a, a club were willing to to take a chance on me because I know at the time. Dario was um, mentioning about it was going to go to tribunal and and they were going to expect a lot, so it could have easily put off a lot of a lot of clubs. Um, but yeah, Preston were committed and yeah, it was um, it was an experience in itself having to go to in front of a, a board and, and give you reasons why as a player why why you want to move on um, and and get questioned at the age of nineteen twenty is it full of money and it's like well no it's just to to progress in my career um, so. That was an experience in itself, but that was um, myself sitting in front of the board um, and Preston's chairman and manager at the time, and then obviously Dario and uh, the crew's chairman as well. So that was an experience in itself. But like I say, I went to Preston and it was like music to the ears when the, the gaffer turned around, Paul Simpson, and just said, listen, we see you as a right back. That's where you're going to play. Um, and I was like, OK, great. Yeah, it's... Um... Albion fans will be thinking why we're asking so many questions on Albion related, but I suppose it all brings in, you know, if you'd have stayed at Crew, this might not have happened, that might not have happened. Yeah. Ultimately, 2011, 
you're out of contract at Preston, you know, you could argue we say one of Albion's top three agents in the Premier League because Albion picked you up for on a free transfer. Um, and how, how was that move for you? We'll talk about how it came about in a second, but I suppose you come in, I imagine you've still got family, have you got family still in the area, you know, Albion being near to Shropshire. Was that a big part of, of deciding, as well as the fact that Albion had just survived in the top flight and, you know, we're looking to, to kick on as well? Yeah, it was it was massive. It was like forever thankful to to West Brom like for giving me that chance really. Um it, it sort of felt like it was now or never. Um like I say, I I I knew I was performing well in the championship. Um I was seeing lads now being a right back at full backs moving and getting given their chance. Um and that last season at Preston, personally it, it was a good season for myself. I felt if you want to call it sort of hitting that that peak stage of your career, I felt I felt quick, I felt strong, confident, um, and yeah. So I thought it's, it's either going to happen now or never. And that was very much my mindset. And then once I heard of once I heard of the uh, interest of the baggies, it was just pure excitement more than anything. And um, just knowing, okay, I might actually be given a chance to actually play in the Premier League. Um, so yeah, it was it happened it happened fast. I met with. Um, met with Derby and, and Nigel Clough at the time and then straight from there went over to see Roy Hodgson at, at the Baggies training ground and it, it just all happened quick and then before you know it I was I was there having a medical which was like it was just unbelievable yeah dream stuff. You mentioned there about you know the dream playing in the Premier League right at the very start of the podcast when I asked you about when you thought you were going to make it you said 200 games and you said you weren't too sure about your ability and stuff would by that point in your career did you sort of put to one side ambitions of, of maybe playing in the Premier League, given, you know, what you said, or, or was that always, you know, I can get there, I'm going to get there. And then this came around. Yeah, I, I think, like I say, it was sort of just being young and naive at crew and just enjoying my football and seeing where it takes me to then going, OK, I, yeah, do you know what? I'm a good championship player. And maybe if I carry on going, someone will, will take a chance to then dropping down to League One of going okay I need to try and get back to the championship to then reset and start again really as in okay let's see whether I can show I'm a good enough player in this league that someone's willing to take a chance and, it, and at times it was a bit a little bit down heart and when you're seeing lads move on similar age similar position and I'm thinking oh god why, why isn't someone taking a chance on me um but yeah I just kept on kept on working hard and I think deep down I did have that belief and like I say I started to get more confident um and believe in myself more that yeah okay if I carry on consistently performing I, I will get that chance um but yeah it, it was still when I come to that last year at Preston I knew I was out of contract it, it did still very much feel like it was now or never um and like I say that's why I'm forever thankful to the Albion for giving me that chance and what was that like going in you know Roy Hodgson's come there you know I think he'd been on the back of you know, he's had a great managerial career, you know, everyone knows, but I think he's on the back of Fulham, he came in on the back of Liverpool as well, and he helped keep Albion up. What was he like to to deal with, you know, an operator who's respected in the game because he's still managing in the Premier League at, I don't know what he is now, 96 or whatever he is, you know, but he's, uh, what was he like to to deal with? And and can you remember those sort of first interactions when he wanted to, to bring you in? Yeah, no, it was, um, I, can, I can remember, like I say, meeting him at the training ground, um, and my dad was with us and um, obviously my dad he introduced himself to my dad and made a massive impression on him and just just yeah just generally like what a great bloke um, and like you say a massive manager 
and someone who was in awe of a little bit, um, maybe even thinking, does he even know who I am type thing? <laughs> um, but yeah, also, like I say, at that time, having confidence in myself and I can remember we spoke about just talking about football and he was talking about my ambitions and it was from going in to, to just really trying to find my feet within football to sitting with um, Roy and uh, saying, well, yeah, I want to play Premier League football and if I play well in the Premier League, who knows, I might even play for England. That's sort of how I totally flipped my mentality a little bit and had confidence going, OK, well, why can't that be achievable as such? Um, maybe looking a little bit too far ahead. I should have just been concentrating on can I play in the Premier <laughs> League first. <laughs> but yeah, um, and for me personally, he was, he was massive on, on the training pitch. Um, when we would do unit work or go into 11 v 11s, I'd maybe do some some moments, some positioning, which I thought were correct. Um, which might have been correct for previous managers in the championship, and and Roy would go, whoa, 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 don't don't you go in there type thing. Uh, so you don't do that. Someone else would do that. You say that, and it just made it so clear. There's no grey area. It was simple, clear messages, which which helped me massively. And I always feel that if I had signed for a different manager in the Premier League, I might not have. I might have been in for one season and then shipped out to the championship again. Um, and that's why Roy was so good. He he helped me realise what my job was playing as a Premier League fullback. How did you get on going into that that dressing room? Because you know some big you know big hitters, big experience you know Premier League players like Sir Stephen Reid, big characters like Jonas Olsen, and you know a lot of players who stayed at Albion for a long time like Chris Brunt, James Morrison, etc. How was how was it going into to that? Because I suppose it's uh, you've come from Preston, where I'm sure there's probably ex Premier League players. Come from Crew, there's a lot of young players. How different was that dressing room and how did you how did you fit in? Um, I felt it was welcoming at the time, to be honest. I felt there was always a good group there. Um, maybe personally it was it was massive that I signed the exact same time as, as GMAC. Um, both players who hungry to prove themselves in the Premier League um, and maybe regarded as just championship players to that dressing room. But it, ne- it never felt like that. It never felt like that. It just felt like, okay, what are these lads? Like, oh, they're good lads. Yeah, okay, they're going to give their utmost for the club and for the team. Um, and yeah, it, 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 it pushed you. It, obviously, the, the training standard was higher. The, the quality of players, the squad depth, it, it was just every day was a learning day and you were being pushed to perform in training to, obviously, I couldn't, could never train at the Albion at 75% because you'd be found out as such. It was every day you had to be 100% at it. Um, and just personally, just trying to impress not only the, the gaffer, but y- your teammates. You want them to feel like, OK, yeah, if he plays, he's not going to let us down as such. In terms of, you know, you mentioned that players going in, you know, what was it like for, you know, you went in, it was very welcoming. Was there... Was there groups you sort of latched onto? Was there anyone in particular you know you got quite pally with in that in that dressing room? Because those teams over that period of time, you know, seemed very together. Quality teams as well because you know they delivered results. But was there any sort of particular people you sort of latched onto, or maybe took you under your wing as a Championship player coming into a Premier League environment? Like I say, it always felt like um, everyone was a little bit like that. But for um, like always had massive respect for Reedy. Obviously, I was. The way he was with me, it was never like it, he viewed me as competition. It was very much he was there to to help me and and advise me and and yeah, like 
like forever grateful for, for him for that. And it, but from the flip side of it, it was someone who I've watched in the Premier League and in the World Cup, and I was just trying to impress him more than anything. I wanted to be like, well, I hope Reedy thinks I'm a good player or at least good competition to provide for himself. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was great. It was pre-season. I, I remember the first trip we went on, we went to America and it was obviously tough training, as you can imagine, but Roy, every now and then we go, you can have a, a couple of pints in the bar if you want. So you just sort of had a bit of team bonding there and then straight away. Um, so after that trip, I very much felt part of it. I know, looking back on it, I can remember we played, my memory serves, serves me correct, I'm sure we played Olympiacos in a pre-season friendly. And I was awful. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> what, but what is everyone going to think? But it, 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 I never, that was me personally thinking that, but I never felt like the dressing was like, oh my God, who would be someone to do? Who's this guy? Um, it always just felt that it was just a great, great group of lads, good team spirit. Like I say, a little bit of team bonding pre-season, being given a few points at the bar and a night out, which always helps. And um, yeah, I felt, I felt welcomed and right amongst it straight away, to be honest. At that sort of period of time, you know, we've spoken to a few players who played in the bygone eras where, you know, that professionalism was coupled with a very big drinking culture. I suppose that was by, probably about as far as it went, was it, Billy, in terms of a few beers on pre-season? Because things, I suppose, you probably maybe saw both sides of it from crew in the early 2000s, right through to, you know, at Albion there. Or, or, you know, I might be completely off the mark and you might have been out all the time at Albion. I don't really know, but... <laughs> What, what, how, how did it change and what was it sort of like at Albion? Was there still that team bonding element, but it had to be in a different way almost? Yeah, I, I, I feel sort of like like 1987 I was born. So my age group coming through football has sort of seen like, like it turn again. So from being to that team bonding, being encouraged by having a drink and having a night out to sort of everyone just very much being what gains can they get? And if that means not drinking, then, then they wouldn't do as such. It's don't get me wrong, it, like I'd consider myself always to be very professional. And I, I know on that trip, my roommate was um, Craig Dawson, who was really, really professional. So it might have been a couple of pints that night bonding, but that morning, me and Dawson mostly up stretching in the room before training or something like so. Being quite busy, as they call it. <laughs> yeah, so it was it was sort of like, yeah, Dawson saying to us, yeah, Dawson's busy, isn't he? But in the room, there we are, both stretching anyway for training and like stuff like that. But yeah, he's um, a great, great guy. Yeah, so it, it was it was it was in, encouraged, but as you say, when it when it was done, it was always at the right the right moment. Um, it was never too out of control and, and I would never describe it as a drinking culture. I think it was just potentially if there was a, it might have been after, I think it might have been after when we beat Man United away. Um, it was okay, we've got to celebrate this one type thing. So there's a team night out, but I know Le Gaff at the time said you're in the next day. So it was very much... Sweated out the next morning, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it was the best of both worlds, really. It was everyone being professional and 100% committed, but also every now and then you'd have that little bit of uh, a night out to, to celebrate a, a good win potentially or the end of a pre-season trip, which was common back then. That that first season, you know, you did break in. I think you played 21 times in, in all competitions, but I think at the end of that season, England come knocking for, for Roy. Um, was that a, a difficult period for you? No, you know, someone who signed you, put you a lot of faith in you played you know a lot a lot of games that season and I'm sure 
the whole Albion squad were a bit gutted that he was going because you'd had a really good season. Yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, that was the general feeling within the camp. Um, but also one of just being absolutely made up for him as well, to be honest. Um, uh, yeah, at the time, I, looking back, I feel like I was just more like happy and, and proud that he was given the opportunity to manage England. Um, so yeah, and, and you could just see that. You could see you could see on his face how how excited and how happy he was. And I I know just from a personal point of view, I just felt like I'm, I'm glad you're getting given that opportunity, Gaffer. Like through all the years you've been managing, I'm sure it's something you wanted. So yeah, just just feeling really happy for him. Um, and also having the confidence that the group and core of players we had um, very much being a, a coachable group that if someone come in, we could still do well. Um, if the manager come in and sort of looked at what Roy had done and sort of not not changed too much, realising the players he's got and strengths and weaknesses, we could just have a another successful season. Yeah. Coxie, I'm going to come on to you this out. I've just thought of one more question I want to ask because Roy, as we said before, you know, Roy Hodgson's an old guy now. A lot of people look at him as a sort of granddad figure. But as a coach, you know, we know he's a fantastic coach. I've, I've heard a lot of stories. But he also looks like someone who could dish out a bit of a rollicking as well. Have you ever been on the end of a bit of a, you know, a bit too much from Roy? Or have you ever seen anyone in the Albion dressing room who's uh, got on the wrong side of him at all? And if if so, can you tell us? To be honest, I, I know I'm going to let you down here because I can't really remember anyone <laughs> where, where he... Um, but he strikes Where me as someone who could get, if he had to, he could get oh, going. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it was sort of, I think sort of those heated moments happen in the dressing room if someone ever really goes back at the manager. Um, and I think there was just a lot of a lot of respect towards um, towards Roy and the gaffer. Um, so, yeah, I think if anyone was dug out, it was sort of, yeah, sorry. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> it was never really going back at him. Which I won't do it again, gaffer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just... Um, so, so yeah, off the top of my head, I can't really remember. Um, with myself, I can't really remember. So yeah, sorry, I can't remember. No, it's all right. No, no, no. no. I think I just things things must have been going too well. That's the well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is that. Um, Coxie, because I'm generous, I'm going to give you the next part, which is the best part, which is the best time of Albion's recent history when they finished eighth in the Premier League. So, over to you for uh for the next sort of section. Yeah, cheers, Johnny. All right, Billy. Um, I. I it was funny, uh, you mentioned endorsed just then, um, being busy in, in the hotel rooms and doing everything, you know, to the to the letter. It's worked all right for him, isn't it? Still uh, yeah. still a regular in the top flight over a decade later, you know? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, as Johnny said, big change around 2012, isn't it? Um, Steve Clark, fascinated to hear about this because you look at his CV, I mean, I remember back then, he, he, he was a coach, wasn't he? He was known as a coach. Was it Liverpool, Chelsea? Um, I had such a high reputation of that, but as a manager, you know, what, what did you sort of think, expect, and then how did it go? Um, to be honest, yeah, it, it's obviously, like you mentioned there, the clubs you've been at, you, you knew a good coach was going to come in. Um, you, you knew more than likely um, there's going to be someone who's going to be on the grass and, and taking a lot of the, the sessions, which Roy was the exact same um, as, mm -hmm. as a manager. Um, I've had managers since that time at, at the Albion who they wouldn't really do many sessions they'd have someone else to do that but both Roy and um, Steve Clark were were on the grass every day and wanting to get their style of play and their, their methods across and um, he was really good I, I remember 
Um, just little things, so little things which managers don't have to do. But I can remember when he had been appointed, I'm, I'm at home on the summer break and the phone rings and it's the gaffer just introducing himself, just telling him what he what he knows about me um, and what he's expecting from the season and what his ideas may be and how much he's looking forward to start a pre-season. And just little things like that as a player go a long way. You go, OK, this guy's made his phone call to me. He's mostly phoning every player, staff member as well, passing those messages and going, we're going to hit the ground running. It's going to be a good season. Um, and that was it. And I think with with the gaffer, the, he, he come in and very good on the on the training ground. Same again, very clear messages. And also just... He just had um, he just had confidence. He had confidence, and he would fill you with confidence, and you'd have a game plan, and you very much felt as a player. Okay, if I if I do what the gap is saying here, I know it sounds simple, but if I do what the gap sounds uh, saying here, personally and as a team, we're going to win this game. And that would be even if it was Liverpool away, he would fill you with that confidence. It'd be oh god, it wouldn't be even daunting. It'd be okay. Well, this is our game plan. This is what we're going to do, and that's going to give us a result. Um, so he was great from that point of view. That's quality to hear about him ringing you because it's just above and beyond, isn't it? Like you say, not every yeah. manager would do that. Not every manager might even have cared to look into your background and and stuff like that. I mean, when he's ringing you and telling you about individual expectations, what we're going to do this season. I mean, I I dare say it wasn't you know as as ambitious as as how it went in the end. I mean, he, I'm sure you know you you all dreamed you would have had a good season, but it was. Um, it was quite amazing, wasn't it? Yeah, no, it's obviously nice to speak to yourselves because it's obviously the best part of my career. It was enjoyable. It was winning games, um, fantastic memories. Um, and just like I say, the start we had um, was unbelievable. And we sort of, even though we finished safe, we sort of underachieved because the points tally we should have finished on should have been a lot higher. Um, yeah, there's there some games towards the, the end of that season which we had played well in and just didn't really go our way. But I always I always think that looking back, like, oh, um, I'm trying to think the points tally we finished on now. It might have been, I'm trying to think what it was. But I, I can remember thinking, oh, my God, we should have, we should be closer to that mark instead. But no, like mm. an unbelievable season to, for, for myself personally, to come from the championship and then my first two seasons to finish 10th and 8th. It was just like, it's just amazing. Just talk us through... Um... You, you know, your memories of the squad and the group, the, the regular side that year, some of the changes in the summer, obviously, Lukaku was in, introduced, wasn't he, which which was, you know, clearly a huge presence, huge figure. I mean, the back four that you played in, solid, you know, Olsen, GMAC, you mentioned, you know, Ridgewell, your memories of the side and the group? I think just that, um, just that trust in each other, really. You just knew that um even even the season before with Roy, it was very much okay, you go out there, you, you do your best to stop the cross. But if they do get that cross in, it comes in from the outside and G Mac and Jonas will head it away. And if they don't head it away, Fozzie will save it. And that's very much what it felt like as a defensive unit. It felt like, okay, I'm gonna do my utmost to stop this amazing winger in the Premier League, one v one. If he beats me, okay, he's getting a cross. I'm either going to stop it or it's going to be under pressure. Oh, it's a good cross. G-Mac or Jonas will head it away. If not, Fozzie will save. And at times it felt like that. At times, some of the results we had, it was um, players obviously producing in the final third for us to score that goal and then backs against the wall a little bit and 
and people just putting in brilliant individual performances, which would win you the game. Obviously, having Big Rom there was was amazing. He would, for someone so young at the time coming in, to have the impact he had was was unreal. Um, and yeah, it was those confidence players. Obviously, play better when they have confidence. Um, you had people who were happy to take the ball in tight situations. Um, always whilst we're attacking being correct behind the ball for anything that happened in transition. So, yeah, it was just knowing your job, knowing what your teammates were going to do and the quality of players you had within that team who would produce match-winning performances as well. Yeah, it just sounds like a side who nearly had each other's backs, basically, you mentioned there, with the trust. Just um, just give us another word on Lukaku. Obviously, he came in and I think everyone knew he was a very highly rated youngster with you know, massive ceiling and potential. And and here we are, what, over a decade later, and he's still an elite European striker that God knows how many hundreds of career goals, international goals. So, yeah, yeah I mean, how was he to deal with in training? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, he was obviously, well, an absolute physical presence, an absolute specimen, wasn't he? That was a unit. Um, yeah, he... Um, you can mostly see that from day one when he's he's competing with the likes of G Mac and Jonas, who are obviously big chaps. Um, and just a, just a great guy. Just straight away come in, brought into that that team spirit within the dressing room, um, that personal willingness to to improve and work hard and show everyone how how good he was. Um, I always feel bad because I know at the time towards the second part of the season, I actually slid in training and that's where he picked up a bit of an injury and I don't think I ever slid in training since then because oh, <laughs> I was no. like, what was it <laughs> so I'm at fault for the reason why we didn't finish off with more points to be honest that's very honest yeah. and open yeah, and know, yeah. I've just had a look at the points total but it was 49 and I know there was a big clamour at the time to get 50 points so I think yeah. we're going to have to put the blame firmly at your door there I think. yeah exactly yeah, that's, what, <laughs> that's what I mean that's what I mean I thought it was 49 I was going to take a guess at that and I, yeah I just couldn't believe we didn't break that 50 point and beyond Mark um, yeah and like I say it's my fault for attacking the big Robin training I hope he's not been carrying that niggle, that niggle for his whole career <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, I think it was just wanting to wanting to try and show that I could keep up with him and uh, <laughs> tackle him. But yeah, yeah, unfortunately mistimed it. And I think he might have done something to his ankle or foot or something at the time, mm. which obviously was a big miss for us. Um, and like I say, never never slid in training again. Coxie, I've just got a little, I just got a little one on Lukaku there, and I'm just going to jump forward now because he had that great season, scored a lot of goals, Billy. And in that summer, very late in the window. It was very, very close that he was going to come back to Albion, but he ended up going to Everton. That, can you recall that? Because I think it was very, very late. It must have been a bit of a blow. You know, it must be so much excitement knowing you you're almost going to get him back for another season, and then he yeah. slips off up the uh, up the M6 to Merseyside. Yeah, no, with you saying that at the time, yeah, I can remember thinking like, is he coming back? Isn't he? Um, and the club obviously really pushing hard for it. Um, obviously, the manager had that connection with him. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm sure that the club did everything they could, to be honest, to try and bring him back. Um, and and that's the way it felt with, with not knowing the ins and outs, but you could tell they were pushing hard to try and get him back. And um, that's for sure, yeah. Sorry, Coxie. Billy, you just um, had, a, had a little look at, at lists and names from that season. Yeah, the, the squad depth that, that year, you know, you see some benches with the likes of you know, Dozer and, and, and Gear being on the bench, that ability and experience as well in, at, at the level. There was a real um, 
they had depth and competition as well, wasn't it? Yeah, and and obviously that was that was apparent. If you were playing, you you know you, you knew you had to perform um, because you, you knew the guys who you're competing <clears> with for, for your position. They'd easily come in and perform and do well, and it, it just pushed everything on. It pushed on the training standards, having those players, and that's the one thing I can. I can remember is um, it didn't feel like it at the time. It felt like maybe players might have been disappointed they weren't playing, but it never show or never come out on the training pitch. Yeah. It would never be the cliche spit your dummy out type feeling from certain players. Everyone just very much knuckled down and was, well, very much a team player, wanted the team to do well. If they weren't playing, wanted the team to do well. Um, and, that, and that's the way it felt. And obviously that's the reason why, well, partly, I'm sure the reason why um, we had a good good season as well. You already referenced the success at, at United and obviously in and around the European places all season. I mean, you, you finished the campaign with a remarkable football match, didn't you? Um, I was just going to ask for some, you know, maybe some of the standout games or victories from that season. And I'm sure obviously the 5-5 uh, the will feature right at the top of the list. Yeah, no, it was, uh, as you say, some game to finish with, wasn't it? Um, no, it was the, the Man United game. I remember that, um, like I say, coming off the pitch and just being deserved winners. And I can remember just being on the pitch and that was shown by the United fans actually applauding us off, as in them showing the actual respect that, yeah, you're in a better team today and actually play good football. And, that, and that's the way it felt. And like I say, that was the confidence the gaffer gave you as well um, to go to a team like that at, on their own home turf and, and put in a performance like that. Um, I'm sure, I don't know whether, I'm sure we went four wins on the bounce as well, didn't we? I'm sure, was that that season as well, early on, which was the yeah. top of the table and stuff like that? Um, I think there might have been a, a game thrown in there, potentially as well, away. Yeah, four wins on the bounce. I think you beat Chelsea and then you won at, at Sunderland. Ah, uh, OK. Which got you right That's up right, there. That's right, because we were around the Champions League places at that, at yeah. that time, which was obviously surreal. Yeah, no, I just remember sitting at home and watching match of the day and then just looking at the table after and just grinning to myself going, this is unreal, <laughs> this is brilliant. Um, um, but yeah, those those memories as well of winning those, um, obviously massive whatever league you're in, but to win back-to-back games. And like I say, I'm sure at one point it was maybe even four on the bounce and then we might have lost against Swansea away, um, if I remember correctly. But yeah, no, it was just the the, the standout ones were... Well, yeah, the United games more than anything. Um, beating them at Old Trafford and then the Sir Alex Ferguson's last game and obviously Rom coming on and doing what he did. And I managed to set Youssef up with a goal, which I'm like, OK, great. That will always be on, the, on Sky and one day and I can uh, show people that and go, yeah, I did that many a times. <laughs> but yeah, just did it. Just to, this is just quickly um, jumping forward, you know, across all your Albion time and, and playing top flight Sunderland and that. Just out of interest, who really sticks out as your toughest? You mentioned top Premier League wingers. Who sticks out as your toughest opponent? You know, you you faced who maybe really got the better of you, if 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 any. But who's who was the toughest? Oh, I always get asked this question. It's hard. It's, it's so many. There's so many, and it's also the team. Yeah, I get that. Well. Um, I think obviously. The, the guys who I joke with and say, yeah, that was a, a tough night sleep. The game, uh, the night before that game, is that you're talking the likes of like Bale when he was at Tottenham and yeah. obviously absolutely flying, um, Sterling, um, Hazard. Um, 
But yeah, I always remember with Hazard when we played against him for Chelsea, and I think he had only recently signed, and it was one of them. It sort of did okay against him that day, but being up against him, I could just tell. I was like, oh, this guy's going to be a player. Even though I did well against him that day, I thought, oh my God, this guy's going to like be a big player in the Premier League, and obviously yeah. he did. Um, but yeah, just just lucky and fortunate enough to play against so many so many good players. Um, and yeah, I'm sure there's a few that have given me a tough, tough time. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, heading into the following campaign, Billy, uh, what are you? What are your sort of memories? And then maybe you know the new players, then how it started, and obviously became a tough time. You know, what what are your recollections? Yes, I sort of feeling um, as you, as you do if any any manager leaves or gets the sack, you sort of feel partly responsible, and um, just knowing that at the time we actually played some really really good football and putting some really good performances, mm. but just sort of it went against us. It maybe end up in a draw or a defeat, um, but the actual standard of performance was relatively good. Um, just needed something to turn the corner and then obviously the gap was gone before you know it and like you say there was some changes of players coming in um personally for me I started to pick up my first few hamstring injuries which obviously then played me on on from that um mm-hmm. and, and it was a massive blow for me because it it sort of felt like it was the first season where it could have maybe been my shirt to keep and potentially stay fit and well produce a 40 plus game season um, yeah. so yeah it was, it was disappointing from my point of view when the hamstring started but also I remember obviously that's when um, Morgan come in Amalfitano and he was great to play with um, so like like I say so many other lads who helped me having Bronte and Zoltan in front of me who would just literally say just give me the ball even if a man's just give me the ball <laughs> and I'm like okay this is this is quite it was easy when you've got great players in front of you you just got to give them the ball and they'll do something or make a supporting run and, and Morgan was the exact same he would just every time just come up to me before the game and just go give me the ball just give me the ball and I'm, okay fine there you go there you go I'll make a decoy run and make some space for you or something um, <laughs> uh, yeah um, but then yeah it was it was with the um, Pepe Mel coming in Newgaff coming in it sort of seemed like we, we tried to change a little bit too too quick and too fast and which is hard to do when you've already started the season um, and there was obviously players who maybe potentially weren't sure what was going to be happening at the end of the season and a lot of lone players coming in and it, it just felt like it was a little bit of a, a transition season which is where we maybe just needed some calm and this is what we're good at this is what we do stick with it it'll turn um, but yeah yeah it was a, it was a bit of a bit of an up and down season like I say the new gaffer coming in and wanting to implement a new style of play and then struggling a little bit to really communicate that across from a personal point of view always had success with clear messages this is what we do defensively and mm. um, out of possession this is what we do in possession and it very much felt like there wasn't clear messages so you weren't really sure what to do as a as a team and um yeah it, it was it was a, a tough tricky time and obviously thankfully the club stayed within the league and um obviously that was a the you want to have a successful season, but as a Premier League club you want to make sure come the end of the season you're still a Premier League club, aren't you? So even though it was a bit up and down, it was good that the club actually stayed in the division to then potentially kick on the next season. 
just on Clark, it's like the contrast, isn't it, of what the height she hit the season before. I realise it tailed off, but still the the achievement to to all of a sudden, you know, pressure and and ultimately costing his job. I mean, it, did was there a vibe about the players for the players disappoint? You know, disappointed with the decision. Did they think it was a harsh run on Steve? Or yeah, I, I think it was. Um, I think it felt like that. Yeah, I think there was a lot of players. Well, majority of players really disappointed to see him go. Um, from what we achieved the season before. Um, there was obviously a lot of stats out, wasn't there, at the time? And when it starts to get talked about in the press and on Sky Sports News mm-hmm. and stuff like that, haven't won so many games in this calendar year. That's when you sort of see the writings on the wall and you start to feel that pressure for him. It, 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 the gaffer never never wavered, to be honest. He, he never come into the dressing room and you felt like, oh my God, he's under pressure. He's he's you sense it at some clubs. You go, oh, this, the gaffer's panicking a bit. It, it never felt like that. He always felt calm and in control, which was very much his his demeanour as a manager, which was obviously was great to have as a player. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was a feeling of disappointment and a feeling of it would have turned, it would have turned. Like I say, yeah. it felt like the performances in general were were good enough to get results, but it just weren't coming. But it felt like it would have turned. Do you uh, we 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 hear and we heard and we remember still stories from from Pepe Mao? I mean, you've already already talked about language and that kind of thing. And earlier you referenced uh, managers as coaches who didn't really lead all the training. I mean, that must have been some change then under you know from from one end of the spectrum to the other. Maybe first of all, someone who's you know maybe strong struggles a bit with the language, and then someone who's you know was Pepe Mao not really the the leader in terms of the coaching on the on the training field or. Yeah, it was. Um, it, like I say, it, it seemed like it wasn't clear exactly what what style of play he wanted us to play, um, and it felt like he was sort of asking asking um, players to do stuff which maybe they weren't comfortable with. Um, I wasn't a hundred percent sure, but it, it sort of seemed like it. it um, people were talking that it. It sort of wanted us to play a more of a high pressing game, and whether that had come from up above the, actually come from the board as such, um, and I don't feel even some of the lads would say, well, they might as well not play me then because uh, we're not used to that. That's not our strengths as such, um, and it's so hard to do. I think you need a full pre-season doing that, don't you, to change your style of play um, in possession, out of possession, um, and obviously the players who you want to bring in to do that. Um, it felt like it, it got towards the um, the business end of the season where it looked like we could have been a bit bit more in trouble. And I feel that's when um, Keith Downing and, and Dean Kiley, who had been there through Roy and Steve's, sort of started to come yeah. to the front a little bit and go, OK, let's get back to what we know and, and um, what we do best. And they sort of obviously gave the gaffer the respect when he first came in and, and let him try and do his bits. But then they sort of seemed to um, take over a little bit more and take more responsibility to make sure, first and foremost, this club's got to be a Premier League club next season. Um, and yeah, it was massive that they did that, to be honest, at the time they did it. It's an interest that must have been a bit of an interesting dynamic, to, to be honest. I mean, obviously, you know, it, it worked for you guys as players, didn't it? And worked for the club ultimately. But how... Yeah, how was that with obviously the, the manager still there and did he still have a big input yeah, or was he sort of not ushered out but you know what I mean yeah it it was sort of 
he was still a gaffer. Um, but it was sort of even, like I say, it was a bit of a weird time. But even if he maybe knew, okay, it, this, even maybe from his personal point of view, if he had come over and we didn't stop in the Premier League, it might look bad on his CV. So I think he was very much happy to let, let Keith and Dean um, do more to, to make sure yeah. we stay in the Premier League, which... From his personal point of view, it looks good on his CV. And yeah, as a club, we need to be a Premier League club come the end of the season. Um, but yeah, no, there, was, there was nothing like it was nothing on the training pitch where there was arguments between the staff. It was, seemed like it was still all cohesive in a unit as such. But yeah, just Keith and Dean sort of started to have more of an influence. Just at this point, obviously, took, uh, before we get on to your future and what came next, um, I know my colleague Johnny as uh, a big baggy from sort of that period on Mel's appointment. Yeah, he's got it down here on, on our notes, sort of sees it as the start of maybe Albion's downfall from obviously the, the high points you had. I mean, would you know, from you as a player who'd been involved, would, would you go along with that? Is that a fair comment? Or? Um, obviously, Coming up against them when I was at Sunday, they're obviously like yeah. very organised, as you'd imagine a Tony Pulis team to be. Um, and you mostly know better than me, Johnny. I know because I was looking at the points tally, and I thought, did they did they get over fifty points to one no, season? No, no, that was the highest, I, I believe. Yeah, the, yeah. the forty nine. Because I know at one point it looked like it might have happened. Yeah, <laughs> they were getting. I think they were getting quite close. I think there's a forty seven and a forty eight in there. I think. Yeah, yeah. or something. Yeah. So, so it's a regular theme, didn't it? Sort of became a regular theme in yeah. February and March, and then had it tailing up. Yeah, well, I just know from a personal point of view and being involved in that baggies team, which finished on forty nine, knowing that we should have got more points. I obviously, even though I'm playing at Sunderland, and you still look out for your old clubs, Preston Crew, West Brom, and I know at times I was like, oh god, they're gonna they're gonna break that fifty point mark. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it, it seemed like they they had successful seasons with Pulis and that and then it's obviously a lot a lot has gone on there hasn't it since um yeah yeah with changes up above and everything um and obviously it's hard when managers the revolving door of managers coming in and out um different players getting signed in that time a new manager comes in got one of those players and obviously experience that a little bit at Sunderland it, it, it's hard to to progress if that's if that's happening and changing every year as such. Um, but like you say, it's good to see where they are now um, and pushing pushing for, obviously, promotion, which is great to see. So your situation at this point then, Billy, at the end of that season, um, out of contract, I believe, I was doing a bit of reading and um, you were offered new deals, weren't you, at the Hawthorns um, and obviously elsewhere where there was interest. So so how was that time for you, you know, from your memory? Yeah, it, it was mad, to be honest. I, like... It was funny because I had it happen to me um, to twi- twice. So the story is, is um, obviously West Brom, they had, I think they had sorted um, Sido's new deal and Ben's new deal. And then um, they had come to me in Feb or Jan um, and said, we're going to offer uh, Billy a new contract. Um, he's been doing well. We'll see, we want to extend his stay. Um, we know we've got a year option in our favour at the end of this season and my agent turned around and went well you don't and, and they were like oh wh- what do you mean and it was 
it happened at Preston as well. They thought they had a year option in their favour and they didn't. So it was a bit of a a bit of a mess up potentially from the club. They they thought they were offering me a contract they thought with eighteen months left of me deal, but they're actually offering me a new contract with only five, six months left. Yeah. Um and then it, it got to the point where the season finished, um Pepe Mel had left. Um I think at one point we had a, a squad of players which was maybe only nine ten of actually first team players wasn't it if, if mm-hmm. memory's correct um and i was sort of um i was meeting a couple of managers at the time and i was still getting phone calls off keith and i was taking them and i was saying to my agent they're talking about this offer and the agent was going billy i haven't seen um one piece of paper um, he said, I know how much you want to stay there. And if it wasn't how much you wanted to stay there, I would have told you months ago to tell him to do one because they're messing you about a little bit. And yeah. it's going to potentially scuff other moves. Um, so it was just crazy. It was crazy at the time. I think the whole where the club was at the moment, a lot of change. Um, I was sort of holding out hope that they were going to offer the, the same as what I was being offered elsewhere. Um, but whether they could even even could because they didn't know who the manager was. Um, yeah. So it, yeah, it's, it's a bit crazy to end with. It's a bit crazy to end with. Um, and like I say, my agent summed it up as in, Billy, if you, if you don't make your mind up soon with these clubs who are, there's a piece of paper, there's a contract. Mm. West Brom haven't offered that. Those could soon go and you could be in no man's land yeah. a little bit. Um, it's all you don't know what what's what's correct at the time. I'm just going off what my agent's telling me. Um, I know the truth when it comes to the extension of the contract that there was sort of a mess up there. They thought they had more time. Um, so yeah, it's just a bit mad. It was a bit mad. Like I say, it was a bit crazy. Um, and then obviously one of my old managers come in, Alan Irvine, which was uh, who I had and really <laughs> liked and enjoyed at Preston. Um, so yeah, it's it just sort of and but that was it. Then I was. Obviously, moving on to passes new and excited about the next uh, next chapter, really. Just on it's that, Cotty, just in, a, gen, in a general sort of contract, you know, thought if you if you Googled, you know, looking at Billy Jones leaving West Brom, you know, all it'll read is he's turned down a contract and he's gone to another Premier League club. You know, fans will read between the lines whether it is for, you know, a bigger contract or more money. But is it when you see that now with players dealing with contract situations? As a player, I'm sure you probably look at it and go, well, that's not the full story, you know, because there, there's so much background to it. You know, do, do you get frustrated with that and frustrated with your situation there? Because on the face of it, you know, interviewing you today, you're obviously a genuine chap. The fact that you really mm-hmm. wanted to stay at Albion and probably waited longer than any other player probably would have done for that contract. You know, does it yeah. frustrate yeah, yeah, you yeah, looking at others as well? Yeah, yeah totally. It summed that up well there, to be honest. Yeah, it's, it's not every... every um Every headline you see isn't isn't the truth. Really, there's a lot of ins and outs of it, isn't there? Um, even listening to a lot of podcasts now, you hear a lot of ex-footballers tell their stories and where they've been judged and scrutinised for a decision, and and then they tell the truth, and you go, oh, there's a lot more going on there. I I just know that if West Brom had come up to me um, a year before my last year and offered me a contract, it would have been signed there and then. There was never a piece yeah. of paper in front of me. So I can't sign something which I can't see, can I? So it's <laughs> that is it. I think that was the issue, really. But like, I I I waited as long as I could. I waited as long as I could. I'm I'm I was sitting um, 
at a manager's house um, of a different club and still taking phone calls off Keith, um, excuse myself to to speak to Keith because I had that much respect for Keith himself. Um, Is that Keith Downing at the time? Keith, Keith Downing, yeah. Keith Downing, yeah. yeah. And he was sort of saying about the contract and like I say, I'd then put the phone down and swiftly pull my agent to a side and say, well, Keith's just told me this and he was like, it's, I haven't been, nothing's been sent, nothing's been faxed, nothing's there to to finalise. It's just what they're telling you as such. Um, so yeah, it, it was a bit of a mad time and without feeling backed into a corner, I sort of knew myself, well, I can't, I can't wait any longer. I've, I've got some amazing offers from amazing clubs here. Um, I believe I can be successful there. So unfortunately, that it, it's it's the end of the road and the, and the baggies as such. Yeah, I've not, I've no doubt. You, you know, when you obviously moved to the stadium, like you, yeah, you, know, you must have obviously been delighted. A big club, top flight as as well. But then you see, as you mentioned, you see Irvine come in. I mean, that's like another, <laughs> that's another kick in the um, in the in the never regions, isn't it? You, you know, one of your favourite managers sort of checking in. Yeah, yeah, it was um, it was like going back to previous conversations. It was when I was with him at, at um, Preston, and he was he was doing well. Um, I always sort of hoped, oh well, if he does get a Premier League team, maybe he would take me with him, as you see some managers <laughs> do. Um, so then, yeah, for it to to happen after I signed at Sunderland, and see, to see him come in, I was like, oh, that would have been that would have been nice. But obviously, I'm moving like you're just concentrating on at your new club then, and hopefully being successful there. But I also just thought, okay, well, hopefully he's going to do really well there. Um, I'm sure the yeah. lads will will like him, um, who who were there, um, who I played with, um, and just wished him obviously success at the club. Yeah, just summarise um, your time at Sunderland then for us. Then Billy obviously um, went down after a couple of seasons, was it, and and into the second tier. What are your overall memories and feelings about you know your few years up in the northeast? Um, well, just disappointing, really, from from a personal point of view. Um, I, I felt confident that I could be a, a success there. Um, sort of, like I say, that last season at West Brom is where my hamstring issues started, and I don't, I don't think I really ever, ever got on top of them. Um, tried all sorts, um, seeing crazy German doctors and injections everywhere anything to, to try and play and anything to try and recreate some of the form I showed at, at West Brom um, and some of that consistency. I, I feel it was, um, yeah, it was, it was just frustrating. Like I say, I had, had the utmost confidence that I was going to go there and do well. Um, like I say, a massive club like the Baggies, um, massive support. I thought, OK, I'm going to go there. I'm going to find myself the same as what I did at West Brom, put in performances and and obviously be appreciated by the fans for what I'd consider what I'd always give is effort and, and trying my hardest. Um, but yeah, it, it was just as well with when you talk about the the players we had there. Um, it seemed at times when at West Brom, it was everyone pulling in the same direction. At times there seemed to be lads who were, had their own agenda as such and mm. sort of a, a few more clicks within the dressing room. Um, and even even though at times we we had success and pulled off some um, relegation survivals, we never really really progressed. And I feel like we we would have done at Sunderland if Sam Allardyce had stayed, but obviously he couldn't turn down the England job at the time. 
I feel if he had stayed, Sunderland may may well still be a Premier League team now. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it was soon after he went, it sort of declined from there. Just on um, touching on uh, you know the, the latter years, Billy and and, and Rotherham and your, your couple of years there, and obviously being back down with Crew and was it? Were you feeling the muscle problems more at that stage? Was it catching up with you more? Obviously, you you know, fascinating insight you briefly touched on there about trying all crazy manner of things to to get it sorted, but obviously something you couldn't quite get to grips with. Yeah, it, um, sort of a little bit cliche, but I felt like I never could really get to, to my top speed as such. Um, like I sort of lost fifth gear. <laughs> like, like my hamstrings Which is hard, you know, when, when obviously as you're getting older towards, I suppose, the back part of your career, that happens naturally with age, doesn't it? But that must be so frustrating yeah. when you're battling age and fitness. Yeah, yeah, it was. It, it was, and um, I feel it, then there was a there was a hip issue thrown in there as well, which I never even knew about hips, and they were never an issue, and then suddenly there's a hip issue as well, so hamstrings and hips weren't weren't helping me much um and I was just trying to do as much as I could to to stay fit and and perform um so talking about being professional I was trying I was trying everything I could whether that was um seeing different people getting different opinions um trying all sorts in the gym um so yeah it, it was sort of frustrating to to sort of go into games and whereas when I felt at my best it was sort of okay. I could, I could, I could perform today and be and put in a, a man of the match performance, really make yeah. an impact, even from right back. And um, it sort of got to the point where, okay, maybe all I'm good for now is just to do my job first and foremost. Do my job first yeah. and foremost, and see what happens from there. Whereas that sort of the confidence did take a hit. That's what I felt. Okay, that's the best I could maybe produce today as such. And um, more down to my body the worry of my body letting me down um yeah and so there's something potentially happening um but like i say I, I tried as much as i could to to stay fit um and, and it just it just becomes it just becomes hard work at times and a little bit when you've tried everything and then you're feeling great in the game and then you turn sprint and your hamstring goes and then you get told oh it's actually nearly off the bone this one and you're like i thought i'd done everything right I thought I'd cracked it. I thought I'd found my routine to keep everything strong and, and firing as such. Mm. Um, and I sort of, the, the last person I've seen in my career, um, was sort of my best friend in Shrewsbury, who sort of got into strength and conditioning. And he sort of went through a whole thing with me. And it's sort of too late. I was like, mate, where were you when I got my first hamstring injury at West Brom? It's type thing. Um, but yeah, one it was like I say, it was tough. But at Rotherham, um, it, it was good. The manager and coaching staff were great, and there was that team spirit there again. And it sort of made me, after what had happened at Sunderland on a, on a personal performance point of view, not being good enough and the relegations we had, it was sort of nice to be at Rotherham where I did I did sort of start and enjoying it a little bit more. Um, and, and and maybe that was down to the management and the coaching staff and. How positive they were, and the and the yeah. group of lads we had in that dressing room as well. Everyone was as one. There wasn't really any cliques or any um, individual agendas or anything like that. You've touched on that there a bit, enjoying that Rotherham um, time. I was just going to ask, 
was it a difficult place for you to be in mentally with the injury? Or I, I know you're a positive person and you were still playing football, playing, you know, making appearances, were you? So was that enough to, to stay um, positive, you know, and upbeat? Or was it, was it quite difficult? Um, no, to be honest, it was, it, it, yeah, it was. I still, like I say, if I was still involved, um, still involved in training and, and stuff like that, it was the hardest times are just when you're injured and you're very much isolated by yourself and you you know, unfortunately, you're no, you're no worth to anyone. You're on, the, you're on the treatment table and you can't help impact the game or impact it from the bench. Um, but yeah, no, I was still, I was still positive and it was still great to to be involved in the championship that first season um unfortunately we didn't manage to avoid relegation and then it was sort of nice to play the games we had in um league one before before covid hit where it was um sort of nice to actually have majority of possession actually not be yeah. the underdogs as such because it was it was a backs against the wall job a little bit rather than being in the championship that first season it was really really tough um so yeah, that 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 was enjoyable. But then, like I say, that's when I got my most of my worst hamstring injury that season from out of nowhere. Um, but yeah, it was. I still look back on it as in I enjoyed that time at Rotherham. Obviously, wish I could have made more of an impact. Maybe played more games that first championship season, which hopefully might have produced a, a few better results, which would have um, maybe helped us avoid relegation. Yeah, just just moving on to towards the end and was it the summer of 21 your your retirement when you finished Billy and um yeah, I think yeah it was, whenever yeah. it was whenever it was can you um can you remember coming towards that decision did you know it was looming did you have things planned out or yeah it was it was another it was sort of another horrible time really and definitely not what you envisage when you start your career so I I sort of had um a slight knee issue at Rotherham and um come to January I've spoken to the manager at Rotherham who was obviously great I said like crew have come in can I go out on loan um thinking okay well I I can be back home in, in Shrewsbury and I can drive to crew just like the good old days um and hopefully get prolong my career hopefully get um another couple of years um I can do the work with like I say my best mate in Shrewsbury and, and stay on top of the hamstrings and and hips and hopefully extend the career a little bit. Um, but I had a slight knee issue and I had some fluid in my knee. I spoke to the Robin physio and said, well, it had been scanned and they said, you might have, you might just need a little cleanup in there. Um, but we can give you an ostinal, um injection, which is basically like WD-40, I think, for footballers. Um, <laughs> so and it, felt, it felt great. It felt great. So it felt great and it was an issue. So I, I said to the Robin physio, do you think I'm going to be okay? And he went, listen, you'll be able to get through to the end of the season. You might need a little clean-up off. That will only be like three or four weeks missed. You'll be fine for pre-season. It'll be fine. I went to crew, did the quickest medical ever, um, told them that I had fluid in my knee, but I don't think it's going to be an issue. <laughs> um, played the first game. As you can imagine, it's just swelled. Um, played, played. no, I travelled to Gillingham away, spoke to the manager and said, listen, I, ca I can't play it swell too much. And the managers have sort of gone in us in on us a little bit saying like you've known about it you've you just pulled a fast one and I was like oh, genuinely honestly no I thought I was going to come here and I knew about it I, I told you guys I had fluid I thought the messages would have been relayed from Rotherham to yourself there's a slight issue which we're going to look at at the end of the season 
I said, listen, I might just need an Ostinol, um to let it calm down. I think it'll be fine. Um, and no, so they weren't, they weren't happy. Um, and then I played a couple more games and then there was one game which would have been my last professional game. I played Peterborough and um, I was just um, accelerating to the, to, the, to the wide players, putting on the brakes to decel and, and jockey. And it just felt so crunchy. It felt like there wasn't much in there. It felt like very bony as such. Um, so I had to go and see the surgeon in London. Eventually got operated on after massive um, arguments, I think, between both clubs on who was going to pay for it. Who was that manager at the time, Billy? You might as well name him Jamin for going in on uh, it. That's true. It was, yeah. um, it, was, it was Dave Artel. It was Dave Artel. Artel. Um, yeah. um, like I say, no, no issue with him. It was just obviously mostly just cheesed off but yeah. I was just more bothered that he thought I was that type of person really when I just genuinely went there thinking I could play here for an extra couple of years this is going to be great mm. knowing I had a slight issue but didn't think it was going to be four weeks later I'm getting an operation on it um so yeah after they've argued over who's paid for it I was looking at paying for it myself because I just couldn't be doing with all the drama and um, eventually went down seen the surgeon um, got told it was just because I never really had any issues, so just got told it was going to be a little trim up, which is nothing. It's like, oh, oh nothing. Um, come out of surgery, and the surgeon's come in and went, um, I think you're going to have to retire. I was like, oh, God, what's he, what's he seen in there? <laughs> I was like, Jesus. So I was like, oh, okay. Um, How old were you at the time, Billy? I'm asking. God, I would have been. 33, 34. 34, 33, 34, yeah. I think I was 34. And obviously, the aim was to always get to 35. Um, so, yeah, and he said, I think you need to retire. He said, I, d- I don't know what your plans are after football. Um, he said, but I worry about whether, like, asked about family, whether you're even going to be able to have a kickabout with your son and stuff like that. Um, so I went to, like I say, I mentioned him, went to see my, my best mate in shoes. We did all my rehab with him. Um, and then crew made me come in at four o'clock by myself to do the rehab there. It's just madness. So I was just going in by myself and physio just ticking a box to make sure I was in. So I imagine they were trying to maybe find me or something. Or I don't know if I didn't turn up. So I just had to turn up and I just did rehab by myself there. And I went and did the proper rehab with me mate. And I was just like, oh God, this isn't the way you envision going out. <laughs> Season, season was, it behind closed doors stuff as well, wasn't it? Probably. Yeah, yeah. So it was just a bit mad. It was just a bit crazy. So, but then I was um, the rehab went really well, and then I just reached out to potentially some clubs um, close to Shrewsbury just to see where I could get in there to train um, mm. as a potential trial because I just still wanted to try and get to thirty-five, and and sort of no one was interested. So it was like, okay, well. That's, that's me, Dan. What sort of level was that, Billy? Were they obviously still football league clubs and stuff? And... Yeah, yeah. I was looking at trying to just get in the football league, like just, just clubs close by to Shrewsbury, really. Anything which which yeah. I knew was maybe under 45 minutes an hour's um, driving because um, I knew I would have had to, even though it would have been potentially my last year or so within professional football, I knew I would have had to be more diligent than ever with everything I did away from training. Um, yeah. We would have had to been close by because I would have had to do the work and shoes were with me, pal. Um, but yeah, the moment the moment no one was interested, I was like, okay, well, it makes sense to call it a day. Um, I wanted to obviously try and get more league games and keep the the total number going up, but it was just once that wasn't there, I was like, okay, for knee health and potential risks of if I did carry on part time somewhere, 
just thought it wasn't going to be worth it. So that and that was it. Called it a day. Yeah. Mo- moving on, Billy. Obviously, you're coaching at a junior level at your hometown at, at the moment, aren't you? I mean, can you remember them? Was that always um, an aim or aspiration while you were still playing? Did you want to become a coach? And, and what from here? Do you, you know? Do you see a, a future coaching in the pro game? Or? Um. Yeah. I, I obviously started to do me UEFA B as I was playing. Um. Towards the back end of my career, and then finished it off when I retired, and sort of just in the process of doing me UEFA A at the moment. Um, it was it was one of them where I always I always pictured potentially staying within football, and even and even now I, I enjoy the coaching, but is it? Have I um, sort of? Am I certain that that's the pathway I want to go down and potentially be a manager one day? I, I'm not too sure. I want to look into the scouting department side of it and, and work in, mm. in that pathway potentially. But I, I, one thing that I think is clear is that I still want to stay within football um, yeah. somehow um, and somewhere. And what I'm doing right now, part-time um, coaching, is sort of giving me that that taste of it. And and like I say, I enjoy it. Yeah, I enjoy it. Um, what When I was playing, I was very much... I couldn't really focus on anything else. Um, I think fair play to the lads who can play professionally and be all in and still have something going on away from football for life after football. I, I wish I was one of those chaps, but unfortunately when I was playing, it was very much just solely concentrating on that um, and doing everything correct to try and perform and, and stay fit. Um, but yeah, no, as I say, I enjoy what I'm doing now and I imagine in the future it'll be something within football. Yeah. Is it, is it under 14s at the minute? Is it? I mean, I, mean, I imagine they keep you uh, <laughs> busy enough, you know, where you at enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, they're a good group. They're a good group. They, um, at times, I think you've just got to take into consideration when, when you're talking. They might just be um, looking away with the fairies as such. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, then, lads, come on, concentrate listening. Um, but no, it's, they're a good group. I think I appreciate the coaches I've had now. Um, and everything that they do and the sessions they put on, I wish I could remember them all and I made notes at the time um, because, yeah, there's definitely an art to it. There's definitely an art to it. Um, and, and you see that with the chaps at the clubs where I'm working at the moment, they're, they're really good and they're, they're helping me learn. And obviously with the previous managers and coaches I've had, um, how, how good they actually were and I appreciate how good they were now and I'm trying to give it a go myself. Thanks for being so uh, open and honest with that. I uh, really appreciate everything you've told us. I'm going to hand you to Johnny because I know he's got a little quick list of quick fire questions that are going to really, uh, really test your memory. So, <laughs> good luck. I, I did have a list of questions. I've cut it down now to two because I realised that we've kept you for a lot longer than we thought we were going to, Billy. But you've had some really good stuff to say on there on Albin. So I'm just going to ask two. Just coming off from the coaching bit there, I'm going to. Going to get you to, to look back at Alvin and say who was the, the best you worked under. Obviously, you had Roy Hodgson and Steve Clark who you spoke glowingly about. And I'm going to replace, because I know you're not going to choose Pepe Mel. So I'm going to replace Pepe Mel with a combination of Dean Kiley and Keith Keith Downing. So you've got three to three to choose from there. Um, it's hard to separate between Roy and Steve, to be honest. It's so hard to separate between them two. Um, and obviously, Dean and um, Keith were part of that coaching group as well. Um, but if if I had to choose, it'd mostly be, um, it might have to be Roy just because he was the one who first gave me that opportunity and really helped me understand um, with those clear messages positionally wise and what I need to do to, to 
play as a fullback within the Premier League. Yeah, and just well, I've got not two, just three, because I want to ask this one. Any sort of funny stories from in that dressing room that you know this is a very much a family podcast, so I'm sure there's things that go on within the inner sanctums of dressing rooms that that can't be told on on these types of platforms. But is there any funny tales from your your time at Albion pranks or you know someone who was the the big joker in the pack at, at Albion? I know there was probably a few you know interesting characters yeah. in there. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think that. The ones that stick out a little bit is um, just trying to think off the top of my head. Um, obviously, the, the altercation between Sido and, and Moza in the dressing well, that room. That was what I was going to, I was trying to find if you were in the side that day, Billy, and I was going to ask just, you know, we, we've heard little stories about that in the past, but was it as, was it as, as, as funny as, as it sort of it sounds? Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, I think. I think. Um, unfortunately, I was injured at the time, and um, I think it was a Cardiff game, and it was in the. That's it. Game. He didn't take it in the corner, did he? In the last minute, and they scored to equalise. I think he didn't take it to the corner. <laughs> that was the big issue, um, and everyone let him know about it when he walked in the dressing yeah. room. So obviously, I was. I was in first because um, I was injured. So you just go in, shake all the lads' hands, wish them all that like well done, well done, etc., and. Um, Sido was one of the first into the dress rooms, and I think it, it might have been Fozzy. Sido should have took it to the corner. Someone else, Sido should have took it. So he was obviously getting berated by every teammate coming in, and I think Mozzle was one of the last ones. And he coming in and said, "Is that?" And I think Sido sort of turned on, went, "Okay, <laughs> like that's enough." And then, um, as as Mozzle said at the time, he said, "Once he gripped me, he said I, I wasn't sure what to do, so I just there." Uh, <laughs> Popped him with one. <laughs> I think it was, uh, yeah, I think it was, um, it, I think it was that many people going through him after the game. I think Saudi just sort of was like, okay, guys, Jesus, come on. There's only so much grief I can take. And then, you yeah, probably pick was... on someone of a similar size and height. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, yeah, you know, yeah. he wouldn't have picked on Olsen or McCauley or Foster, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that was it. Maybe that was it. <laughs> um, and then I remember, um, I think it was Richie Woodall was coming in doing boxing at the time. Um, and I can remember, I think he might, I don't know who he was doing it with, but I think he then put Sido's face on one of the pads and someone was. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. Good stuff, good stuff. Just finally, Billy, 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 one... uh, oh, sorry, Cox, you go on. Uh, I, oh, sorry, Johnny, I was, I was just going to say, I know you got one more left. Sorry, I, before I forget, I know you say you keep tabs on your former clubs and you mentioned Albion, you know, going well in the championship at the moment. I mean, just, just quickly and briefly, um, keeping tabs on them and seeing how they're going under a, you know, a, a Spanish head coach, funnily enough, Carlos Corbran. I mean, you, things are uh, things are going on at the club. You know, they want a new owners clearly and, and a takeover. But what, what are you thinking about? You know, I suppose where they are in the context of 2023, 2024. Um, well, yeah, I think it, it seems, um, obviously from the bits I've seen them play and speaking to some like Shrewsby baggy fans, um, that they've got that identity. The managers brought that in, and they know what they know what their um, style of play is, his philosophy, and what he expects. Um, and and also. They seem to have more often than not. You could correct me if I'm wrong. Here, that that core group of players who you sort of know who's more likely going to be starting each game, and and if you can have that and stay injury free and, and be consistent, more more often than not, you're going to have a successful season. Like I say, it'd be great if 
the baggies get promoted, Sunderland get promoted, and Preston get promoted through playoffs. <laughs> Rather than avoid relegation, it would be a, a great season. So yeah, like I say, I look out for for the old clubs and, and wish them all success. So yeah, hopefully I can maybe get to a game this year because I speak to my son about yeah. playing there, and he was lucky enough to watch me when I played in um, Moses and Bronte's um, charity game. Yeah, but yeah, I think he, he enjoys football, so I think a, a visit's due to the Hawthorns to watch a game. Yeah, great, mate. Thank you. Did you have to crack out some WD forty for that Moser? Yeah, there was a few saw. There was a few, you know, slow players and sore movements looking at from the stands and that on that day. Yeah, there was um, <laughs> the, um, the the regular painkillers before a game. There were so many of them dished out before. <laughs> that. It was frightening, and um, yeah, I can remember feeling feeling good, and then I sat down at half time, and then uh, come out for the second half, and I was like, oh. My knee feels a bit cocky. <laughs> yeah, so it was like, I'm, I'm lucky. Um, lucky that the um, I think Roberto Di Matteo was our manager. I'm, I'm lucky that he noticed he dragged me because I didn't want to come off, but I think he knew that I was struggling a bit. So yeah, no, it was a great day. Good stuff. Good stuff. And just finally, because as I said, we have kept you for a long time. Just what's your, you know, when you think of West Brom now, what do you think of? You know, what's the what's your overriding memory? You know, how do you look back on that time and and how do you sort of sum it all up? For yourself now, reflecting on um, it. Just very, very fortunate that they were willing to take a chance on me. Um, like you say, that they had just avoid like well, they had stayed in the Premier League that that first season under Roy, and very naive at the time. But for the fans to then see me and G Mac coming as some of the first signers, they must have been going like, "Oh, great, cheers." <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, for, for the club to actually take that chance on on myself. Um, just forever thankful and I'll always hold like a special place in my heart really the club for giving me that chance to to achieve my dream of playing in the Premier League um, like I say that that first Premier League game it, it very much felt like well this is everything I've worked for now today is just going to be a great day and luckily it was against Wolves as well and we won so it was brilliant um, but yeah just just hold a special place with me um, forever thankful to give me that chance Really fond memories of some incredible seasons, and just so lucky to to have those seasons. I just wish I appreciated them more at the time. I just thought, oh, this is what it's going to be like forever. This is great. Um, <laughs> so I wish, in hindsight, I appreciated them more at the time. But yeah, just so lucky to to have played a part in that successful time for the club, um, and also I look at it as well in hindsight thinking well when the time I left even though I wanted to stay the time I left um if I had stayed and suffered those injuries it might have sort of sort of tarnished my, my part in the club a little bit and um, struggling with those injuries and not being able to unfortunately play as well as maybe what I would have liked um, but no just just fond fond memories at the club. 